This is Talking with Green Teachers, a show where environmental educators discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... I think outdoor learning opens up students to their own communities, to their sense of place. And within that, I think within the conversation of truth and reconciliation, there's an aspect of land-based learning and trying to understand and implement those traditional ways of learning from Indigenous communities. take much to overheat on a winter day. Keep active enough and pretty soon you'll be shedding layers and bemoaning how heavy your parka is. This morning was a different story. You knew from the forecast that it would be cold, but little prepares you for that first inhalation of dry air at minus 25 degrees Celsius. Maybe bears had the right idea with the whole hibernation thing. But your class is participating in the Take Me Outside challenge, so a deep freeze is no reason to retreat into a cozy nest. The day is young. Colin Harris is the executive director of Take Me Outside, and he chatted with Ian earlier this summer. Your work with Take Me Outside, one could argue, is even more relevant now amid the pandemic. There is talk of this being a great opportunity for environmental educators, particularly those who teach outside, to provide insights for people who don't traditionally teach in an outdoor setting. What is the nature of that particular opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of opportunities that are sort of coming to the forefront over the last few months, and it's maybe come a little bit inadvertently, but still an opportunity nonetheless. So uh, I think we've seen an influx of discussion and conversation around the benefits of outdoor learning and whether outdoor learning can be implemented into schools when it, when it starts back up in the fall. So, I mean, I think quickly we've seen a couple examples of restaurants that, that have moved onto streets, uh, streets that have closed for either businesses or whatnot. And, and I think the argument is becoming, well, can't we do the same for, for schools? If we, can, if we can sort of close streets for economic gain, can we not do this for our students' education gain as well? I think, you know, the cynic might say, well, this is great. This might be a short-term measure, but what about after the pandemic? And I know there's so much talk about, you know, what happens after the pandemic just with all walks of life, but is there opportunity to take outdoor learning beyond the time when it's necessary? I mean, right now in most jurisdictions, we have to be six feet away from one another and that's just not doable in a classroom setting. So what's a, an easy solution? Go outside. What, what about when we don't need to be six feet apart from one another? How do we still keep people outside? Because we know that there are many research-backed benefits to learning outdoors, being outdoors, and much of that's detailed on your website. So how do we keep that momentum going afterwards? In some ways, I feel like that's the million-dollar question. It, it, it's of course. Those of us who've been immersed in, in sort of this work, and some for, for decades, it, it seems like there's a constant 
struggle at times or trying to justify sort of the benefits of of students learning outside and, and taking that teaching outside. And, you know, like you just mentioned, I think a, a lot of those benefits are, are backed up through evidence-based research. And I, I think sometimes the, you know, it's, it's not wanting to pit one against the other. There's a time and a place for the classroom. There's a time and a place for technology in the classroom, but there's also a time and a place for taking learning outside. And it, it, it sometimes feels like we have to sort of fight through justifying the benefits that come with outdoor learning. And I, I don't know if, if I see sort of that justification that's needed when it comes to technology in the classroom. It feels like very few people are, are sort of questioning on a, on a consistent basis what is you know, what are the benefits of technology in the classroom? It's, it's sort of almost believed that it's inherently good. And yet on the, on the, on the other side, it, yeah, it's this constant having to explain and justify those benefits for, for kids going outside. An interesting item that, that arises in my mind with that is with technology in the classroom, I think there's the comfort factor. Technology is designed ergonomically so that it's easy to use. It's comfortable. It, it gives us a good feeling. Whereas being outdoors, and I'm sure many educators, many former students can relate to this, it's that initial discomfort that is a, kind of a difficult barrier to get over. I mean, you go outside and, oh, it's too windy. Oh, it, it looks like it's going to rain. Those of us in the temperate zone where it gets very cold in the winter, it's too cold out. And I think people who, who go beyond that initial discomfort eventually come to find that it was really worth persevering and pushing through it. But that initial discomfort usually is the deciding factor, at least in many educators' experience. How do we <laughs> encourage people to embrace the discomfort, so to speak? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is sometimes we have short memories and we forget that the indigenous people that lived on this land for thousands of years lived outside. They learned outside. Their their lives were were on the land, and we've shifted into you know an indoor culture. I think the statistic for the amount of time that an average adult spends throughout their life indoors sits at ninety three percent, and so there's there's been a huge shift in in how we live our lives. You know, I, I, I think it's twofold. You're right. It's getting over the hump of feeling comfortable. But I, I think there's tools and resources that can help an educator feel comfortable with taking their students outside. Stand still for too long and you quickly remember that you must keep moving. Sub-zero temperatures are a great motivator. What if we build a fort? There's an educator in the in the states parker palmer who's written a few books um, but one that comes to mind is called the courage to teach and in it he sort of says you you teach who you are and you know maybe the parallel is in most school systems we, we try to teach students about empathy and you know we can certainly provide teachers and educators with tools and resources that help teach those students empathy. But if that educator doesn't have a sense of empathy themselves, I think it's much more difficult to effectively convey 
and, and teach empathy to those students. And I think the same thing goes for taking learning outside. I mean, we can give educators tools and resources to take their students outside, but unless they sort of hold their own personal worldview that going outside is important, that having a relationship with nature is important, it becomes that much more difficult to teach that effectively with students. So I, I, the positive thing is I think we're seeing a growing trend with educators across the country who feel strongly about, about that learning happening outside. And again, this is, it, it's a nuanced conversation. There's a time and a place for a classroom. There's a time and a place for students to be inside the school, but there's also a growing need for, for students to experience place-based education, land-based education with a focus on Indigenous knowledge and Indigenous teachings. So it's, yeah, it's one step is providing teachers the tools and resources, but I think first and foremost, it comes through that teacher feeling within themselves that a connection to the outdoors is important in their own personal life, which will help sort of convey and, and direct that towards the learning for students. As you say, there's so much evidence-backed research that talks about the many, many benefits of being outdoors. And in my discussions with educators who are maybe reticent at first to go outdoors, when I mention the equity component, their ears kind of perk up. And I know that's something that is mentioned in, in the blog, Reimagining School, which, which is on the Take Me Outside website. And it's a great blog post. I got a lot from it. We've shared it through our social media channels. What does that equity piece look like in terms of learning outside? I mean, I think, you know, if you take a step back and look outside of the education system, I mean, the report is a little bit old, but Stats Canada in 2013 put out a report that households' participation in outdoor activities close to home increased as the annual income increased. So from 56% of for those with annual incomes of less than 20,000 a year to 88% for households with annual incomes of $150,000 or more per year. So right there you see some of the disparity from socioeconomic status in terms of that correlation with time outside and, and the outdoor activities that are sort of being chosen to do or have an ability to, to do. If you start turning towards education, you see that those socioeconomic factors have a direct correlation with success, both in school and beyond into adulthood. And so, you know, I think one of the opportunities is for outdoor learning to include all students in having equal access to a outdoor time and then be learning outside. So it, it, it's a unique opportunity. I think, you know, at the beginning of this pandemic, it feels like, you know, this is just one example, but there was a video that went viral, a father who built sort of this makeshift ski lift in yeah, yeah, I saw their, that one in their backyard so that his daughters could, you know, ski down this little slope uh, in the backyard. And I think this is really sort of indicative of the inequality that exists with realizing that there are so many people who live in this country who don't have access to a backyard. And so, you know, there's no question that there's 
inequality when it comes to that ability to spend time outside. But again, I think the opportunity through outdoor learning is that when a student goes to school, and this is really sort of the mission of Take Me Outside as an organization is to is to ensure and to strive that that outdoor time and outdoor learning is a consistent part of every student's day. And, and so, yeah, I think on the equity piece, it's outdoor learning is a huge opportunity to have students being outside, learning outside daily. It's time for a short break. We'll be right back. You've been learning how Inuit people build igloos. No one could believe that they're actually quite warm inside. So you and your friends decide that you have to test it out in real life. We talked about some of the barriers to getting there from the perspective of an individual educator, but of course there are many institutional barriers to that as well. And there's the liability consideration there's just the logistical consideration of, well, if students go outside during a rainy day, they're going to come in and then the hallways are going to be dirty and you know, we need to divert resources to clean that. Are there any other institutional barriers, one that that you see as particularly significant? And do you have any insights into how we can breach those barriers? I mean, again, sort of at a, a high level, I I feel like the struggles with institutions as a whole, I mean, it's whether you look at the church as an institution or the institution of marriage, I mean, changes within these institutional constructs take a lot more time than I think sometimes we we would like to see. It, it just seems like a, a slow shift at times. And I, and I think that's no different with sort of the institution of education. The history of education is, you could argue, I think in today's lens, it could be viewed as troubling in, in some respects. Certainly in Canada, when you look at residential schools, you would easily argue that education as an institution uh, is troubling with trying to sort of condition individuals, especially Indigenous First Nations and, and Métis people. I think even outside of that, you had the institution of education sort of trying to socially condition people, uh, set them up for jobs. In some respects, it was a way of social conditioning by going to school. And so I think in some ways we're having to unlearn some of that and make sure that we don't recreate some of the educational experiences that perhaps you and I grew up with. You know, if you try to look at it in a positive light, we are seeing more nature schools across the country pop up. We're seeing more outdoor schools and, and forest play programs pop up. And so there, I think there is an appetite for outdoor learning. And and with that appetite comes a demand, you know, to to administrators. And, and so the hope is that if some of that momentum can continue to snowball, that we will, you know, see more outdoor learning implemented in, in schools across the country. Yeah, and the point you make about conditioning, I mean, it's very true that education in its modern incarnation is inherently convergent. And you gave the great example of forest schools, and I'll throw Montessori's in there as well, where we're seeing more divergent and individualized approaches to education. It would seem to me then that just 
not physically having the four walls of a classroom lends itself quite naturally to more divergent styles of learning. Absolutely. And I think research backs that up. I mean, David Sobel is is one person who has advocated for place-based learning and the idea of being rooted in the community, connecting students with the community, you know, moving beyond those four walls. And, you know, he talks about integrating schools into the social fabric of where they're situated and arguing that education should be rooted in the, in the place they're in. Another author, David Orr, says all education is environmental education. You can't teach economics without looking at ecology. I think outdoor learning opens up students to their own communities, to their sense of place. And within that, I think within the conversation of truth and reconciliation, there's an aspect of land-based learning and trying to understand and implement those traditional ways of learning from Indigenous communities. You know, and I'll interrupt Ian just to say, I, I feel I, I struggle with this sometimes. I'm, I'm a, a white, privileged settler, male, and there's definitely a sense of feeling like I'm not the right person to, to talk about some of this. Sure, um, sure. And so it's, it's with a sense of hesitancy almost to, to voice some of this. And I think that's, you know, to, to be honest, it both personally and at an organizational level, it's, it's something that I know we have to work on to, to develop those relationships more with uh, indigenous leaders with indigenous communities with indigenous students to really sort of work on some of this and I think at the end of the day I mean it's advantageous for a lot of reasons but I I think from an educational standpoint we can really benefit from indigenous land-based education right across the country. Someone found an old blue box to use for making snow bricks it's great for packing the fluffy snow down to a usable texture. That's one problem solved. The roof? That's another matter. We live in this age where there's just information all around us and some of it's credible and some of it is, is not, but indigenous ways of seeing and knowing are, you know, you can maybe re read a blog about it or listen to a podcast about it, but it is really difficult to get an authentic understanding of it unless you are immersed in nature because indigenous ways of knowing are fundamentally based in immersion in nature. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, with, again, within the context of talking about education and outdoor learning uh, and land-based education, I mean, there's still a, a lot to learn. And I think as long as we can keep pushing to incorporate, to include, to implement land-based education to build those relationships with Indigenous people and Indigenous communities and, and, and be inclusive with students in terms of what they're learning and how they're learning. You know, I, I think it's an important path to go down and, you know, I think one that has some bumps along the way of, of trying to figure some of this out. But again, it's an important path to go down. And I, I, I think within Canada, there's being steps made that are heading in the right direction. And that's a good thing to, to see. It is. And you mentioned the analogy earlier of the momentum building and, and snowballing. And, and that brings us back to some of the barriers to taking learning outside. And, and we briefly mentioned earlier about winter. Some of us are in the temperate zone. Some of us are not. For those who are in the temperate zone, 
there is a definite time of the year where learning outside presents many more challenges. I mean, if it's minus 30 before the winds chill, that's a barrier on many, many fronts. Is there a model of keeping outdoor learning going throughout the year, even in temperate and subarctic and arctic zones? Yeah, I mean, you know, I listened to, it's funny, this conversation, this topic is is prescient. There was a, they talked about on the current this morning on CBC radio, uh, they talked about the benefits of outdoor learning and they interviewed a, an educator in Nunavut. And, you know, she said, even in the winter, students are are heading outside and another exactly. interviewee um, in, in Southern Ontario said, well, if kids in Nunavut can go outside in the winter, so can the rest of us. And so I think, you know, again, I, I understand that there's stipulations, there's board regulations, there's, there's liability, which is a whole nother conversation. But I think there are opportunities to take learning outside all months of the year. Team Outside hosts sort of a, a Team Outside challenge in February. And we ask that, that, teachers sort of commit to, to taking their students outside over the course of, of two weeks. And the response is great. Uh, I, I think, again, it, it's twofold. It's, it's ensuring that students have, have the right clothing. I mean, that's an age-old argument. And, and again, there's an equity piece in that because some students just, the families, you know, struggle to, to make ends meet and, and to provide that clothing. But if a student is, is properly dressed, Rarely will you hear students, at least younger students, complain about how cold it is. My experience is that it's typically the adults who struggle with how cold it is. You know, I've seen after school programs, I've seen classes that go out for recess or for lunch or for outdoor learning, and the students are quite content. Granted, they're active enough that that they stay warm. But, you know, to answer your question, is there a model that works? No, I think we could, again, turn to some of what can be seen in northern parts of the, the country. You know, I would encourage people to, to listen to this interview on, on The Current. But it's, I think it's, again, making a, a fundamental commitment that you, you try. I mean, I, although we do live in this temperate climate, there aren't many days throughout the winter we're sort of at minus 25 or, or colder. Uh, and on those days, sure, you know, exceptions can be made and, and maybe students don't head outside. But I, th- I think we tend to sometimes use the cold as an excuse or a barrier rather than an opportunity. There's so much more to unpack and pardon the snow pun there, but uh, we will leave it there for now. We're at a time where we really don't necessarily have a choice about taking learning outside, and that goes beyond environmental education as such. We're going to be seeing lots of classes that you wouldn't typically think about as being outdoors, being outdoors. You might be doing your English class outdoors, French class, uh, science, history, geography, and on and on and on and on and on. And a lot of interesting experiences and then insights will come from this. And uh, I suppose for folks like you and you and me, it's our job to keep that momentum going and open people's eyes to the many benefits and keep that conversation going with the various Indigenous communities to bring in not only their perspective on 
outdoor learning, but their perspective on ways of being outdoors, ways of knowing and seeing the outdoors and just education in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I think lastly, I'd, I'd sort of touch on, we've seen at the beginning of this pandemic, we saw a high degree of adaptability on the part of educators uh, and the education Incredible. system. And I think, I think that bodes well for moving outdoor learning forward. I mean, it, again, we talk about giving educators the, the tools and the resources to help them with outdoor learning, but within a matter of weeks, these teachers became proficient with virtual or remote learning. Um, yep. Everyone came, became a Zoom expert. That, that's exactly it, and and they found a way. And so I think there's a confidence that, that as an education system, we can find a way with with outdoor learning as well. And again, as we've discussed, it's evidence based support of, of the benefits that come from from that outdoor learning and so you know even if an educator feels a, a little bit overwhelmed uh, I'm sure there was a feeling of being overwhelmed at the start of having to use zoom and, no, and try no to teach your students uh, through that forum yeah I mean I, I don't want to belittle some of the challenges that come with outdoor learning but I I, I I would contend that if teachers can can find success or a degree of success through virtual learning, I think there are huge opportunities to, to find success through outdoor learning. In the end, you and your friends managed to construct a pretty impressive fort. The packed snow breaks should last for a while, even if temperatures creep up towards zero occasionally. Figuring out how to construct the roof made you abandon the igloo idea partway through, but you'll give it another try soon. You have in mind what you could do differently next time. Plus, the Take Me Outside challenge is far from over. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargas Nessi. I also voice most of the ads. Ian serves as the show's writer and editor. Logo design and additional voiced ads are by Devin Terrian. Look for our monthly episodes on greenteacher.com. For access to all episodes, subscribe to Green Teacher and also receive our quarterly magazine, as well as exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. Thank you for joining us on this episode. We'll chat again soon. <laughs>